0: Good crowd for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Father. Isn't it wonderful to all, to all of us that we have a wonderful Father? <laughs> man, oh man. And he cares for us. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we stumble. He knows that we fall. He's always there to lift us up and instruct us. He's given the Holy Spirit. We talked about that this morning and dwelling within us to give us life, uh, to give us a way to live and move. Now let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. You are a good, good Father, and you bless us. You give us wonderful gifts, not things of the earth, not possessions, not wealth, but spiritual, wonderful things that sometimes we can just barely utter. You forgave our sins. You don't even remember them. You sent your son to die. The list goes on and on and on of how good a father you are. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. We could talk about him all day long and not get it all out. Uh, I had a little helper. Zoe's in here somewhere. Is that her right there? She handed some of these out today, and I think I printed 20 or so of them. And it's really just, I need a help tool to, when I start talking about, you know, Jacob and Israel and and the wives and the kids and the, so on. And I'm going to address all those. So this little uh, thing is out there. So if you can remember all of it by, you know, without looking at a device, that's okay, but I need help. So what I'm going to do today, we're going to go from Genesis 29 to 46, which is a lot of territory. So what I've done is carved out little pieces. Now here's the other thing that I did. Since I want to talk about kind of Jacob and Laban, it's kind of separate. And then I want to talk about Leah, separate from Rachel. Uh, so I've carved up the verses. So we're going to read a few about Rachel or Leah first, actually. And then and you'll see it. It goes back and forth. So don't lose your place in, in any one spot. We're probably going to return close to it. Uh, I guess if I titled it again, it would be Jacob's Troubles. Jacob had four wives and a bunch of kids, and that's usually a, a trouble, right? know, uh, I would say, probably lesser extent to some of our larger families here, it's one dad and one mom. But imagine, you know, one dad and four moms, right? And then there's jealousy, there's envy, there's mistrust, there's all those other things that go along with that. And uh, it became very destructive to things, However, when you step back and look at it, God never touches sin, but he allowed all these things to happen in order for the deliverance of his people to occur. To have his prophecy that he gave to Abraham to occur, these things had to happen. Now, we're, we're getting an inside view of this, and there's some things that it really doesn't uh, emphasize or tell us but we can speculate on some, and I'm not big on speculating on the Bible, but you'll understand what I'm saying. If I said that uh, uh, there had to be a period where Jacob was upset for that 13-year period that his son was gone, and he lamented, not just once, but over and over, all right? So uh, that kind of thing is what I'm talking about. We're going to start out in Genesis 29, 16, but deception but it didn't start right there. The deception really started between Jacob and Esau, right? Uh, those two didn't get along. And actually, from the womb, right? Remember what happened? Jacob comes out holding the heel of his brother. And it, it, it was prophesied, you know, that the older would serve the younger and so forth. That was all godly prophecy, the way it occurred, though, there was sin that occurred with it, but uh, God doesn't touch the sin. Again, uh, Jacob, the trickster, got his brother who had no care for his birthright. So both were wrong. But Jacob used that to his advantage to get the blessing of the father with the birthright that was ignored by Esau. And so that created hatred between those two, two factions or groups uh and there was a, a a moment of reconciliation when they met and Jacob thought man is he going to kill me you know when he saw Esau and but they fell upon one another's neck and uh there was a kind of a family reunion and a lamenting over the things that they did that's not the story we're we're farther down the road now Jacob uh wanted a wife i mean it was the 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 thing you, you want to have a family you want to have a wife you yeah, and those things and there's a lot we could go into some of the detail of just what got to this moment and talk for a very, very long time. But he was basically sent to Laban. There was a information given that if you go to the well and this woman and so on. But he saw he loved Rachel. He saw her. He loved her. He fell in love. But let's start out Genesis 29, 16. And what I'm going to do is like I'll read 16 and 17 and 23 through 25, 31. Through, you know, I'm going to. Take pieces, otherwise we couldn't get all the way to chapter 46. Alright, Genesis 29, 16, and Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Do you know what tender-eyed means? She wasn't the prettiest one of the bunch. And it, it, there's, I've read all the descriptions in, in uh, Hebrew. And tried to figure out, well, which one does this really mean? But that's the best that I can come up with, and I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. She wasn't physically favorable or maybe had the the look in her eye where she looked kind of weak or meek or that those kinds of things. Not favorable looking. Maybe I could say it that way. But the point is, he loved Rachel. That's what he wanted. He uh, was going to be wanted to be devoted to her. And if anybody else has a, a better definition on tender, I'd, I, I want to hear it later. <clears throat> so uh, let's go to verse 23. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. So here's what he thought he was going to uh, be wed and consummate with Rachel, but there was deception, and Leah was brought in. So who started the deception? Laban, right? Who participated in the deception? Leah. So she's part of this. It's not like she didn't know what was going on, right? She participated in this deception. 24, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Rachel. And then wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Again, more lying, more tricking. It continues. Jacob, uh, Esau, Laban, all had deception or deceptive things that they did. Uh, Twenty nine verse thirty. And he went also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. Uh oh got two wives I like this one a lot better and I like that one I what up to children from this one compared to that one who does he love more and the jealousy and envy continues and it will continue served with him yet another uh, uh, other years seven other years verse 31 and when the Lord saw, uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God saw it. He saw that Leah was being rejected. And it not just rejected, it uses the H word here, hated. And Rachel was barren. Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For, she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. What was the purpose in her conceiving and giving a child? Only to try to attract Israel or Jacob. Right? He'll love me now. 30, uh, we're going to go to chapter 30 and verse 9. Again, I'm going to go back and forth with these characters within this story. Chapter thirty, verse nine says, uh, "When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife." Now this is where this <laughs> this comes in, and uh, I used it I used it during this formation to make sure I kept my mind right. So up here we we have Jacob, Leah, Rachel, the two maidens that they had, and then all the offspring. So she saw that she was uh, barren, or past the time of child rearing or conceiving and then gave her maid to him there's some familiar sounds to some of these things to stuff that happened in the past but uh, all these things had to come to pass in order for the word of the lord to come to pass with all the children of israel and then becoming tribes Let's see, I forgot where I left. 30 verse 9. Now, verse 10. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bear Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bear Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. She's still craving this recognition, acceptance, and other things. Now, I want to back up, go to 30 verse 1, so I can talk about Rachel. So this is where it gets segmented, but I want to focus on the different characters. 30 verse 1, and it says, uh, And when Rachel saw that she uh, bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Jealousy, envy, wanting something she didn't have. And said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Pretty dramatic, isn't it? Give me kids or I'm going to die. It was everything for mothers to have children. That was the thing. You wanted progeny. Uh, And oftentimes it was so they would have someone to take care of them in their older age. I mean, you can reflect back to uh, Naomi and so forth and what happened with them and losing husbands and no one to care and that kind of thing. So it was everything to have children. And uh, I'm going to die. So And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? In other words, am I supposed to change things that God has already set into motion and make something happen that he hasn't caused? Go down to verse 6. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore, uh, called she his name Dan. And again, that was from Bilhah the maid, not hers. Verse 7 and 8. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. You see what her thoughts are? I got back at her. I finally caught up. I prevailed over her continuous envy, jealousy from one side to the other, one faction to the other. It just didn't stop with Jacob and Esau. It continued through these generations. The deception of Laban continued. Uh, The deception that Leah participated in continued. Pretty crazy stuff when you think about the, the... the only word I can come up with, the politics, but the politics within the family. All right, we're going to go to Genesis 30, now 22. God never forgets. God still has a plan, and he's going to make this plan come to fruition through, uh, through sinful people. Genesis 30, verse 22, and it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Even though Rachel had some uh, problems with her motives and her other things, she still had this craving to have her own children. And it is a very strong desire to do that. God heard that. Uh, Seems like there was another woman in the Bible that was barren and prayed and prayed and prayed and even was accused of being drunk while she was praying by Eli. And she produced Samuel. A promise was given. All right, so God hears. All right, verse 23, And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord uh, shall add to me another son. So now she has one of her own offspring. And uh, later she conceived again. And a sad part of that is uh, with Benjamin. Rachel named him before she died, but Jacob changed the name. I forget the other name. I didn't keep that, that verse in here. But he changed the name to Benjamin. So that was the youngest of all the twelve. Also of the favorite wife and brother to the favorite son. And I keep using those words on purpose because this jealousy continues. Now go to chapter 37. We're going to jump a few now. Verse two: These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock when his brethren, uh, with his brethren, and the lad was uh, with the sons of Bilhah, the maid, and with the sons of Zilpah, the maid, and his father's wives. So they were actually described separately. And his father's wives and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That's a tough thing to swallow. You know, I've I've heard that question posed to different people. Who's your favorite kid? I I know I couldn't get an answer out of either one of those. Or or Zach. Or Odessa, I see her there now. How, How do you have a favorite kid? They're all different. I like my kids differently. I love them both the same, but I love this one for these characters and things that they do, and I love this one for what they do. And you know what I'm saying? To me, there's not a competition. Oh, I love this one so much more than that one. But there was apparent things, and it says God wouldn't have put it here if it wasn't true. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And again, you go back. He wanted Rachel. He worked seven years and he was deceived and all of that. It was part of his heart. He wanted her and he wanted children. Finally got the children. And now that favoritism followed. All right, maybe I'm overselling this. Because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more, they it was apparent that all his brethren... They really didn't like it very much. No, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably to him. This was deep. This jealousy, avarice, uh, all born of deception, and just produced really bad things. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him more. And he said to them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we are binding the sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf." And his brethren... Oh, they didn't like that. His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. This hate thing is coming up a lot right here that God's describing. He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, behold, I've dreamed a dream more and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my mother, excuse me, and my brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? Uh, Bow down thyself, my Let me start over, I'm trying to get a drink and read. Thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth. And his brethren envied him. There's another jealousy-envy type word, but his father observed the saying. Jacob took note of it. He didn't know exactly what the meaning was or some other thing, but he observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Do uh, not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired to slay him. They didn't just hate him. They wanted to kill him. That's how far their jealousy had taken them. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. And I could hear that just being said with spite and envy and, you know, all those things. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. So let me ask this question. Were they an enemy of Joseph? Yep. Let me ask you another question. Were they an enemy of Jacob? Yes. You can't think, want to do, conspire to do that with also not having regard for the father. Correct? Okay. Some beast and so on. Oh, verse 21. And Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Good for Reuben. All right. Now, the twelve are preserved. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. I don't know. Is he just going to throw him in a hole in the ground and leave him? That's pretty torturous, too. All right, and it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. Well, let's let's have lunch. We put brother in a hole here in the ground. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites. Hmm. This is connected to other things again. So uh, you look at this uh, web and circle things of sin and the impacts and what's happening. So now we have some Ishmaelites uh, came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, uh, going to carry it down into Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? What profit is it? Well, it's selling. It's getting worse. Uh, this contriving, this deception, these evil thoughts are all there, and it's just full of it. But God knows what's going on. God never touches sin, and He will use the results of man's sin in order. He will still get His uh, uh, prophecy is not the right word. His plan will come to be his declarations he has things that we don't even know what his will is but you can see some of this now his will will come true let us sell him to the ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him oh that'll save us for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren uh, and his brethren were content they were, they're were okay with that but look our hand is not upon him. Well, we can get away with it. Now, we just stripped him of his coat. Uh, they haven't even got to the deception of the father yet. And we're going to sell him. And our hands are clean. Kind of like David, right? I'll just send uh him to the front line and they'll kill him and, and I'm okay. I'm not a murderer. So quickly do these folks think that they can get away with murder and God doesn't see it. Verse 28, and there passed a Midianite's merchantman and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Well, that's very close to something else. Right? So what I'm also drawing this conclusion, and you've already know this, is that Joseph was a type of Christ. Being hated of the brothers. Now, who hated Christ? Christ. Well, you'd like to say Sadducees and Pharisees, but it's everybody. All sinners hated Christ. All sinners hate God until we're changed, until we see and repent of those thoughts and what the mind really is, and then want to do things a new and better way through the indwelling of the Spirit. Salting for silver. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. Now he's upset. And he returned unto his brothers or brethren and said, The child is not. Uh and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it uh, to their father, and said, This we have found, Dad. Sad. Uh, we found this coat; it's got blood all over it. You know what must have happened. You know, I can imagine all the other. Work. There was a, a bunch of them there, right? Ten there that participated in this thing. This we have found, and know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Yeah, they did. First of many, well, not the first of many lies, continuing lies. And he knew it and said, "It is my son's coat." An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt uh, rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Actually mourned for his son for 13 years. How many times do you think the conversation came up maybe week by week or year by year? Uh, uh, Jacob lamenting over the loss of his son and in the way that he thought he was destroyed, and the conversations coming up around the family dinner table. Well, they didn't have tables, but you know what I'm saying. How many times did they have to back up that lie? So one of my favorite things for my uncle, uh, Jack. I don't know if y'all knew him or not. <laughs> he uh, he had the mind of about an eight-year-old, I guess, and he lived into He was almost 80, but uh, I always grin when I, I think about playing dominoes with him or talking to him, and and you'd, hey Jack, I'm going to beat you in dominoes today. He goes, well, no, tell another one to back that one up. <laughs> and he had, and that's what he would say. And you'd say, oh yeah, tell another one to back that one up. Cause he, he in his simple mind even knew one lie is going to cause another to back that up. And it gets bigger and bigger. And then I know people that have done that and you, you watch them and you go, you know what? I remember what you said three conversations ago and it contradicts what you're saying now. You can't even keep up with your own lies coming out of your mouth. What I'm saying is this lie didn't occur just once. It was a perpetual thing. Their father was in perpetual pain because of the loss. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him. All the sons rose up to comfort him, the ones that caused the demise. Right? More deception. But he refused to be comforted, for he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. This was deep. The pain was obvious to the brothers. They know they caused it. They perpetuated that lie. All right, maybe I'm driving this home too much. But just imagine that pain. Imagine that continual deception of the brothers. How many times did they have to lie or pretend to their father? They were enemies to their brother and to their father. But God used this prophet. Joseph went precisely where God wanted him to go. Right? So, 39, verse 1. We might make it. I really had my doubts hopefully 39 verse 1 and joseph was brought down to egypt and potiphar an officer of pharaoh captain of the guard and egyptian brought him of the hands of the ishmaelites which had brought him down thither and the lord was with joseph and he was prosperous everything that joseph did was blessed he went to a pit he was in prison Those jails weren't like it is today, air conditioning and three squares a day and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not saying prison's easy, but it's not like it was back then. They were nasty, filthy places. But he was recognized and brought up to different offices. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Uh, We're going to go to 41, but we know what happened in Potiphar's house and... Uh, Potiphar's wife wanted him and so forth and uh, Joseph was still honorable. He was an honorable man. Not like his brothers. I'm not saying he was sinless. He wasn't. But he was an honorable man. All right. Genesis 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all uh, this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Now to get here, you had to go through the story about Joseph being in the pit and uh, uh, actually revealing dreams there. And then a couple of the guys that were freed got loose and they didn't remember Joseph. He was still in there a few more years until that final thing when somebody said, Hey, there was this guy in prison that could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh, you need to bring him up here and maybe he can interpret your dreams. So I'm trying to encapsulate all this. Everybody still with me? On the story, <coughs> thou shalt be over my house, man. To go from brothers hating you to a pit, to telling your father that you were dead. Now you're number two in Egypt and have lots of power. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word, forty-one forty. Uh, thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. There's also some things that are reminiscent of something else. We're going to get a a, a new vesture, a ring, a robe, a a crown, uh, things like that. Pharaoh is not holy, and he's not God. There's things here, gifts given to someone in authority, and we will be given gifts and placed in authority, prophets, priests, and kings. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over uh, all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, without thee shall no man lift up his hand. Or foot in the land of Egypt. In other words, you're gonna direct it all. You're gonna get them to get the corn, to build the, uh, the storehouses, to do all these things. You're gonna run it all. Nobody's gonna do anything without your permission. That's a lot of power. Uh, 42, Genesis 42. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he, it was that sold to all the people in the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. So that famine hit also outside of Egypt and people were seeking food, seeking stores and uh, uh, things to preserve their life. And Joseph saw his brothers and he knew them. It just means he recognized them. He knew exactly who they were. I, I've often thought about, what would I think immediately? He's got all the power. You know, all he had to do was point, kill him. It would have been over. He had that much power. Uh, he might not even have had to say a word. Maybe he could just point, nod. I, I don't know. But I'm telling you, he had the power to do anything he wanted to them he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and uh, spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? I'm trying to do the rough part. And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed uh, of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, and uh, to see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food. Uh, Are they servants come? We are all one man's sons. We are true men. And no spies. Were they true men? I'd have to say no. Or were they honest, honorable, upright, going to do the right thing kind of men? No. They wanted to say that to him so they could get their food. But no spies. And he said unto them, nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, you are come. You wanted to, again, assess us that's what military do we go look at the enemy assess them see where their weaknesses are vulnerabilities and that's what he it's not what he thought they were doing it's what he accused them or said that they were doing and they said thy servants are twelve the sons of one man in the land of Canaan behold the youngest is this day with our father and one is not he's dead now were they honorable men they just lied Right? He's not. And I'm still sitting here thinking, okay, Joseph knows the story, knows who he is, knows who they are, and they're lying to his face. He's standing right in front of them. And Joseph said unto them, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come here. That's some leverage. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Hey, prove to me what you're saying. Show me your little brother. And they said one to another, "We are very great. uh, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul, and when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us." Now, thirteen years later, basically they're reflecting back. To uh, those moments when they sold their brother off. Those moments that they caused that. Uh, Joseph, it says here. He besought us. He was saying, well, I'm, I'm sure, I, and again, I'm speculating. Why are you doing this? I'm innocent. Don't do this to me. You're my brothers. We're family. You know, whatever the things that were said. As they were throwing him into the pit. And Reuben answered them saying, Spake uh, I not unto you saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. This is really good. Right? He knows the language. He knows Egyptian. He used an interpreter, you know, tell them what they're saying. But he knew every word that they were saying, whether it was true or not. Verse 29. And they came unto Jacob their father into the land of Canaan and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father, and one is not. Now they're lying to their dad again. Right? They have to keep the lie going. Once it starts, got to feed the lie, got to back it up, got to continue with it. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me. Take food for the famine your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you Uh, your brother and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sacks and they brought money to purchase corn and provisions. And now the money was back in there. Of course it was done on purpose. We skipped a lot of pieces there. Uh, And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid now, one of the most powerful men in this area or region. We've stolen from him, or it appears that we've stolen from him. And we're supposed to be true men. And look at, look at what's in all of our sacks. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. Joseph is dead. And Simeon is not. Simeon was left behind uh, to be held until the brothers came back with Benjamin. And ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father saying. Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand and I will bring him to thee again. He's making a promise to his dad. I'm going to take care of him. Now Reuben out of all of them I probably would have trusted. Because of some of the things that he tried to do. Prevention. He didn't stop it. He didn't tell dad about it. Uh. But there was some goodness in there, if you'll accept that. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way uh, in which ye go, then shall ye bring uh, down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Very sorrowful. They had to see the sorrow of their dad over and over and over for something they did and hid. Genesis 44, just one verse there and then we're going to go to 45. So when they went back and they searched and began at the eldest and left of the youngest and a cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So this was put in the sack of stores or food and again it looked like they were stealing. Long story short, they ended up bringing everybody down. But... It, there had to be a confrontation. Genesis 45 verse one, verse one. Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him and he cried, cause every man to go out from me and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. I often again wondered what this moment was like. And he wept out loud. The Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. So now at that moment, They're there before second in command of all of Egypt, had all the power over them. They deceived time after time after time. They recognize him, who he is, and I'd be pretty speechless too. There was a time or two that I got caught doing something and I didn't know what to say to mom and dad other than I did it. Now, it's easy to say that after you're caught, right? Right? Not as easy to say that before you're caught. (sighs) Troubled. Verse 4, and Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. What is he going to (laughs) do? And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. But listen to this. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did not send me, uh, excuse me, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Do we have a father that sent his son to preserve life? Yeah, God the father did that. He knew that we needed deliverance of all manner of things, not just things for the body, food, that kind of thing, sustenance, but spiritual things. And God, the fathers sent his son to take away our sin. Verse 14. <clears throat> oh, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren. All of them. All the ones that betrayed him. All the ones that deceived and lied. Kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Isn't that kind of the way it works when we go to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, open our heart? It's always given. We weep. We're forgiven. And God is a God of reconciliation. We've all been reconciled. Sinners not deserving of anything except death are reconciled to a holy father Because he chose to do it. He chose to send his son to die. He chose to bring us back into the flock. He chose to restore and reconcile with us sinners. Sorry. Verse 16. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, 'Joseph's uh, Joseph's brethren are come and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Everything is pretty good here with the Egyptians. Okay, let's go to chapter 46, verse 3. What was happening is that God made a prophecy, not a prophecy, excuse me. I said it again. A decree. That's the word I was trying to think of while well ago. God made a decree that there would be a great nation that would come from Abraham. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to his sons, right? And then there would be a great nation. Where did that nation come from? Egypt. It was delivered later. I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not, go down into Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. God's talking to Jacob. Don't fear. This is what I wanted. This is my purpose in this. Go do it. Israel or Jacob fulfilled God's promise in the land of Goshen and made a great nation. All that had to happen to bring about God's purpose doesn't mean all that sin was okay. It means that no matter what we do as sinful creatures, we cannot thwart the will of God. We cannot derail his purpose. It's impossible i think i've used this uh, little story before can you imagine a caterpillar trying to stop a train right caterpillar walks out on the tracks and i don't know sticks his little foot up stop train it's kind of funny thing to look at and think about right train doesn't even know the caterpillar's there it's kind of like us if we try well i'm just going to change the will of god i'm going to thwart his purpose The world's trying to do that all around us, and it's an impossibility. God's purpose will come true. His decrees will all be fulfilled. Every one, every tiny part of it will come to be. Now, do we know how? If you told me this story without this other knowledge, and I thought, well, how's God going to get this purpose in the nation? I wouldn't have come up with a story like this. This can only come... Uh, to fruition this way because God uses sinful people and can still get his purpose accomplished. Right? So it means he can use you. I'm not putting you down. But you're a sinful creature and he can still bring about purpose in your life. Even with your will that you exercise against him. I want to ask that question again. Were the brothers the enemy to Joseph. Yes. Were the brothers the enemy to the father? Yes. It was a pretending to love. Again, if they'd have loved him with the right kind of love, they wouldn't have done what they did to their brother. And again, look at all the hatred going back. Leah hated Rachel. Rachel hated Leah. There was a division between them and then all the sons. And there was preferred sons out of the 12. And it's messy, but isn't it wonderful that God can sort through all that mess and still bring things about? Luke chapter 20, please. We're going to make it. I was, I was not sure. Because I want you to see what we're like. Often people will look at this passage and say, well, that's the Sadducees and Pharisees. No, it's Everybody. said this before from the pulpit. If I was back in that day, I'd have had a hammer in my hand. I'd be in the crowd saying crucify him. And you say, well, I wouldn't do that. Well, then you'd be passive and silent, not defending Christ, because there was no one there to defend him. So all that were before the cross were guilty. All. And so were you. You might as well have been there. I'm sorry if you may not like me saying that to you, but it's true. You're an enemy of God. All of us were. Verse 9, Luke 20, verse 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it uh, forth to husbandmen and went to a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also. And this could be reminiscent of prophets and so forth, because prophets were slaughtered. There were times that, uh, that kind of shameful things happened. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? Now, see, God didn't have to ask a question of himself like that. What am I going to do now? But God's got a plan. This is a story. What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But this is written in a way that God may or may not know, but it's not that doesn't work that way. God knew. He knew that they would reject him. He knew that they would slay him. And that was the purpose in all of this, to bring about the offering and sacrifice of Jesus willfully, then so we could have life. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? Think back to the brothers. Slaying their brother, so to speak. And if they, even if they didn't kill him, did they have the intent? It proved it with the words. We're going to kill him. Reuben saved him from doing that, but they had that intent for the heart. So they were murderers. Doesn't matter how you look at it, even if it wasn't physical death. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this uh, then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. He, Jesus Christ, was that stone. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder and I don't think they like that very much because verse 19 says and the chief priest and scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him that wasn't to have a good time they wanted to kill him there were several instances where they tried to take our savior's life and it was impossible no one ever took his life ever he gave it big difference big difference He, of his own volition, went to the cross, became sin, so we could have life. So, life would be preserved. Right? What was the purpose with Joseph? God wanted to preserve life. God did send me before you to preserve life. And God did the same thing with Jesus, our Saviour we could have been those brothers and sisters that denied him uh, lied deceived we all deserve punishment but jesus sent his son to save us and forgave us from all those things all those tragic things it's a wonder to be able to look to be able to look into some of the, some of the decrees of god and go wow that is wonderful I don't know how God does it I don't understand it but he has this uh, ultimate power this omnipotent thing to make things come to be as he said and he will it can't be changed or thwarted all these people around out in the darkness that's out there we talked a lot about that this morning they can't do a thing to stop God N- nothing God will preserve his people now, uh, does that mean you're not going to die physically? No, that doesn't mean that at all. There's going to be a lot of martyrs read Revelation. Many, many, many. But you're preserved spiritually for an eternity because of the price that was paid that you couldn't. May God bless you.